Good morning. It is our first Tuesday episode. This is episode 20 of the Morning Brushback. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. I'm here joined remotely in by Chicago, by way of Chicago, Bobby Stevens. How are you, sir? Good, Dan. Good morning. And we've got a great guest today. Bobby, who is our guest today? So we've got a uh, Twitter hitting guru, Richard Skank. Richard, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. You're wearing your I noticed you're sporting your Northwestern sweatshirt. I got my Chicago State uh, sweatshirt on too. So we're really representing the Midwest well. Um, you know, for for people that are just joining us now that aren't familiar with the show, we've been talking a lot about hitting Twitter lately. So wanted to have Richard on. I know Richard personally. I've met him uh, a handful of times. Follow all his stuff. He's one of the more controversial guys on Twitter, wouldn't you say, Rich? I guess so. <laughs> uh, so just to start, you want to give a little bit of your background. You know, you're in St. Louis. What do you do out there? Um, kind of how you got involved in the in just baseball and hitting in general? Um, I guess it goes back to I played, was a good catcher, couldn't hit. Um, played Division Two baseball. Got married, moved to St. Louis, started having a family, and my kids were growing up, and they couldn't hit either. And I was a good enough baseball player to think I should be able to hit at least at, at Division Two level, but I couldn't. And I played a lot of fast pitch softball as an adult and batted ninth. <laughs> People wanted me on their team because I could catch really well. So um, this thing called the internet came around, and I just started uh, researching hitting. Went to every site I could, try to learn, try to teach my sons. And uh, I think roughly 1999 or 2000, I started that. And then uh, 2004, I decided nobody knew what they were talking about. <laughs> and I went to my basement with a bat and a ball and a camera and a tee, laptop. And I decided that I'm going to try to duplicate Barry Bonds' swing. He's the best hitter in the game, hands down. Um, my theory was if I could make myself look like him, I would feel a stretch or a load or a quickness or something that I'd never felt before. I didn't know if it was true or not, uh, but it ends up it was true that he was doing something different. I could feel something different. Taught it to my son and uh, – in 2007, he had a summer that was unbelievable. He had never hit a home run before in his life. And uh, he came home from college on May 10th, I believe, of 2007. And May 24th, 2007, he hit three home runs in a doubleheader, and he had seven home runs that summer. And uh, after a roughly seven-year period of time of trying to figure this thing out, we, we were thrilled. And we thought we were done. We, we had done what we wanted to do. We wanted to figure out some things, and he had some success. He was never a pro prospect, a very average athlete, just loved the game, just wanted to be the best he could be. And so uh, we thought we were done. But I would met a couple dads along the way on the Internet, and they wanted to know what I was teaching Brandon, so I started teaching them. And uh, they got college scholarships and got drafted, and one thing led to another, and uh, – David Matranga, judge's agent. I had met him on the internet and he was a player at the time and I worked with him and he did better. And, and then all of a sudden it just came to an end when 
well, pretty much an end. I was still I was still working with some 10, 12, 14 year old kids online, um, but pretty much came to an end. And then David introduced me to Aaron Judge, and things blew up. So yeah, so usually just, just just takes one to really you know I think social proof is a really powerful thing, and when you can get one guy like Judge, who's such a formidable hitter on your side, that that makes a huge difference. So, um, Rich, one of my questions here. Why do you think hitting instruction has lagged so far behind? So, like you said, you were um, you know a college baseball player and wanted to do better for your kids, and you just didn't feel like there was good instruction out there, or just good like you know whether it's hitting manuals or videos or whatever. Why do you feel like that's lag? Because I feel the same way about pitching. I feel like everyone does. It's not a, a knock on any given person. But there was just seems like there was like a, like a dearth of information for a long time. Why do you how do you explain that? Um, <clears throat> start off from a major league level, where or first of all, almost every kid in the country plays little league baseball. I mean, I don't know the number, but almost everybody plays little league baseball. So you've got this huge pool of amateur talent that whittles down and bottlenecks in to Major League Baseball. So Major League Baseball has this pool of millions and millions of kids who want to play their game. And so they don't have to teach anything. They're, they've got such a huge pool of players who, through trial and error, are going. some of them are going to get better and some of them are going to really get better. And eventually you end up with the big leaguers. And so baseball's been around 140 years, 150 years, whatever it is. They've never, ever had to teach the, the game, never. The throwers figured it out on their own. I'm not saying there's not an occasional dad or an instructor that didn't help somebody along the way. But in the big picture, there's so many kids who want to be big leaguers that they're out there just trying to learn trial and error, and some of them figured out. Yeah. One of the most interesting things that, I, that has happened to me uh, I got a call from Manny Ramirez, and it was an interesting call. I answered my phone. I say, hello, and he says, this is Manny Ramirez. I don't like you. <laughs> and I said, why? <laughs> and he says, because you said on a video that I didn't know what I was doing. And I stopped him right there. I said, Manny, that's not what I said. I said, you know, you could do it, but you couldn't tell anybody what you're doing. And he started laughing and he said, that's exactly why I called you. My son showed me the video of you and you're the only person I've ever seen that could explain what I did. And so then it went further and he told me how he learned to hit. And he was in high school in New York and his coach wanted to make him a pitcher. And Manny went to the ballpark day after day after day and self-tossed home runs to center field. That's how he learned hit the ball over the center field fence by tossing the ball up in the air by basically hitting fungos. Yeah. Okay. So take that story and take it times 500 million or whatever. And kids out there trying to figure it out. Major league baseball never had to teach. It was, they draft you, they give you a couple thousand at bats to over two or three, four years made the fit survive. Yeah. Bobby, so, do you feel like that's, yeah, that's true? A, I, I, I think he hit it on the head with, you know, those got like the funnels always, the funnels always getting more narrow at the top. So that makes a lot of sense, you know, breaking it down like that. But 
just from hearing, you know, for everyone listening, for hearing Rich talk in person, that the feeling that are that that aha that Manny Ramirez had is similar to what I had the first time I heard Rich talk. It's that I could always remember doing well. Like I can remember the best time. You can always remember your best games. You know, guys have so specific memory, selective memory um, of when they were performing well. But I could never verbalize it or repeat it out loud to get myself to stay there, which is the knock of every player that never made it to the big leagues. You weren't consistent enough. You know, I played with plenty of guys that are definitely talented enough, athletic enough that never made it to the big leagues that probably should have, that, you know, athletically they were much more gifted than some of these guys that, that got a cup of coffee or even that might still be in the big leagues. So the ability to explain or actually like get somebody to realize or what they're doing in real time was what I couldn't get, get myself to do. Like I knew what I was doing when I was going well. And then I try and take a cue from myself, um, you know, like, okay, stay back or feel like you're like, I remember one time in the batting cage, I hit three or four out in a row and batting practice and a ball or wherever I was at. And I thought to myself, Hey, just lag, like lag the bat. That's what, that's what it felt like. Like my bat was, behind the baseball for a really long time. Now I lost that feeling, you know, at some point in a week or two weeks and I couldn't get it back because I didn't know exactly what I was doing, which was, you know, the real, that's the real difficulty of, of hitting. So you, that, that rings true specifically for myself. Um, kind of to get back to your evolution as, you know, how you learn it. It wasn't a, you know, you said 2007, your son had a good year. That's 13 years ago. I think the misconception is a lot of people that, you know, you jump on Twitter and you get a Twitter handle and everybody can become an expert. And that's really not necessarily the case. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you work with Aaron judge. That's your, you know, that's probably your most high profile hitter. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got someone like him to buy in a guy that's already in the big leagues and, uh, how that interaction went. Okay. Um, David Matranga is Judge's agent. Actually, Judge's agent is PSI Sports, Page Sports, uh, Ventura, California, owned by uh, Paige Odell. And David, Page was David's agent. When David retired, he went to work for Page. And so I don't know, he's part owner and an agent. I don't know their business relationship. But anyway, David is the guy out there looking to recruit talent to the agency. So from 2009, when David retired, until 2016, um, David and I have an online relationship. I've met him once. I went and saw him play in Memphis. Um, but we've developed a really strong friendship online. We laugh and we joke and uh, whatever. So as David's out recruiting talent to the agency, he would be sending me video. I saw Cole Calhoun before anybody knew Cole. I saw Colton Wong before anybody knew Colton Wong. I saw Rob Refsnyder. I saw Aaron Judge as, as they're coming out of college or out of the amateur ranks getting drafted. David would send me their video because he liked my ability to analyze. And he would ask me, do you think this guy can be a big leaguer? And I'd say yes or no or whatever. So um, that was 2009 to 2016. In uh, November of 2016, David calls me and says, I have this player, Aaron Judge. He got called up to the big leagues. He hit 179. He struck out 42 out of 84 at-bats. I've had a conversation with him. He needs to change his swing in order to, to get to be the person he wants to be, be the player he wants to be. So he invited me 
to go to Phoenix, Arizona in November of 16. I went there for a week, five days, worked with Aaron and Rob Ref Snyder together for twice a day for five days. And uh, I, this was the first time that I've ever worked with big leaguers. Both Rob and Aaron had been in the big leagues. Um, I'd worked with some athletes, the Division One players who got drafted and were in Class A ball, but this was a little intimidating for me. This was my, uh, my real test, I thought. So <clears throat> I go to Phoenix and we, I start teaching them my stuff and they, they, they're looking at me like I'm nuts. And, but I guess because David gave me a recommendation, they, they tried uh, and they did really well. When the week was over, what's really interesting to me um, when I came back home and talked to my friends, I said, you need to look out for that Rob Refsnyder guy. He is really good. I said, Aaron Judge's got a lot of work to do. I don't know about him, but Rob really picked up what I thought. I thought really well. So the last day I was there, Paige Odell came, the owner of the agency, and who watched and um, they invited me back to Ventura, California in January of 17. And when I was there, I worked with Rob and Aaron again and maybe 10 other players that they represent. So that was my connection to them um, through David, through Paige. Um, it was interesting. The first day I was there, I thought I've got to get their attention somehow. And I have this drill called the command drill. We set a ball on a tee. And you get loaded up and someone gives you the command and the goal is to have like zero time between hearing the command and striking the ball. In other words, what I call launch quickness. So I set a ball on the tee for me and I set a ball on the tee for Aaron and Rob or David would give the command, load up, <clears throat> go. And it wasn't even close. The 62-year-old was hitting the ball way before Aaron and Rob. And so I introduced the concept of slack or slop in your swing to them with that drill, that you're not sudden. You, from the time you decide to swing, you have to be instant, sudden. And both of them had to do a little bit more loading or move their hands into a different position after they heard the command, but before they launched. And I finally, or I got them to understand that concept, and then we worked on it. And so, so let me let me try to um, make sense of that as as a pitching guy. So, when your lead foot hits, do you call it your lead foot your front foot? What do you call your front foot when you're hitting? Whatever lead I, foot, I don't care. I'm not I'm not a total ignoramus. I just not a stride foot like a, a pitcher. <laughs> so when you hit and you're loaded, you want to be completely essentially wound up like a rubber band. So then when yeah. it's time yeah. to go, everything goes all at once. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, like you're just releasing the rubber band. Okay. Instead of swinging, you're releasing it. Okay. So that's that explanation, you know, in real time when you're swinging made a lot of sense to me. Like that resonated with me with the, the slop. Um, you know, I, I try and relate it to shooting a bow and arrow. Like if you're going to pull a bow, a, an arrow back and get ready to shoot something that's moving, you don't want to have it half pulled. Like you want to have it fully taut. So all you have to do is let go arrow shoots, you know, you catch, you hit whatever you're trying to hit. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Now mm -hmm. you, know, you said, just, yeah. 
so the 62 year old guy is hitting against the the six eight you know freak athlete and he's and he's doing well you know is is that the moment that caught Aaron's eye? Uh, is that is that even Rob as well? I'm, I'm not I'm not as familiar with Rob uh, from a physical standpoint, but I imagine if he's in the big leagues, he's probably got some naturally gifted tools. Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, I I think uh, I felt good when I did that drill with them. First of all, I didn't know I was going to beat them. <laughs> all right, I'm 62 years old, and they're you know physically fit athletes. But I had a hunch that they would have a delay between hearing the command and launching, and I don't have that delay. And so, yeah, I think that got their attention. They, they, they would look at me and, what are you doing? Because you can't look at each other while you're swinging, while you're doing this drill. You got to be looking at the ball and you got to hit your ball so you can't see what I'm doing. So they finally asked, what are you doing? And then I went into the explanation of how I'm already preloaded and I'm just releasing the bat on command versus swinging. So that got their attention. I wouldn't say that that was the big aha. Um, uh, well, it, it's part of it, but the big aha moment for Aaron came, I think, when I did my wall drill, when I put the wall between him and the ball. You know what drill I'm talking about, Bobby? I do know that drill. Yeah. But if it, for the people that don't know, can you explain it a little bit for uh, just give a visual? Yeah. I, uh, if you're standing at, at the home plate with a ball and a tee, I place a, what I call a wall. It's a PVC created thing that uh, it, sit, it sits about halfway between you and the tee. And so you look at it and you think, wow, I'm going to hit that when I swing the bat. And some people do, the young kids shatter it. But uh, what it does is it creates a path that um, is a straight line path, but the barrel is turning as it goes down that line. So if the, if the wall is parallel to the line from catcher to pitcher, you're going to turn your barrel very vertically on that line, down that line. So you end up going through the ball. So you can set it oppo and do the same thing hitting the ball oppo. You can set it to the full field and do the same thing full field. But what you end up with is a, is a straight line path through the ball yet the barrel is turning by what you're doing with your hands. So what that forces you to do is it forces you to stay one-legged. It forces you to scrunch up in your lower back. And when Aaron started doing this properly, he said, I've never, ever felt the ball come off my bat like that. Okay, so it's a combination of a path. It's a combination of what position it puts your body into. It's the hand snap. It's the scrunch and the tilt of the body, the stretch and fire. It kind of puts everything together. I don't, it's really hard to describe. Yeah, a lot of things are tough without visuals. So, so Rich, with a lot of these big leaguers, like these guys existed long before you. And with lots of guys that work with, whether it's major league pitchers or hitters, whatever, they're, they're making changes in these guys because they teach them some little thing that now they feel that they maybe approach the ball differently. They approach their swing differently. They, they take practice cuts differently. What, what are the little tweaks that, so when someone you've gotten a lot of flack on Twitter, people say, Oh, you know, like he teaches this stuff. That's that doesn't happen. Or this is, but having been an instructor for pitchers for a long time, and Bobby's been a hitting instructor and you've been a hitting instructor. We all know that sometimes when you show one drill, it might look a little weird, but it's because we're trying to get one little aspect of their their swing to improve, or we're trying to get them to feel one little thing. Um, 
with all these big league guys that have so many good habits before they come to you, like they're there for a reason, right? Um, how would you describe what happens with a major leaguer when he says, wow, I'm so glad I worked with Richard. Um, he's taught me X, Y, and Z. What are those little things that you try to get through to them? Uh, first of all, launch quickness. If you're sudden with your launch, you're going to be able to wait a little bit longer on the okay. pitch. You're going to read the pitch better and you're going to make better decisions and you're going to hit more barrels. And that's pretty much exactly what has happened with Aaron and the other guys I've worked with. We got rid of the slop. We got rid of the slack. We got them instant. Um, I would say in the big leagues, first of all, I want to say what I believe I teach is what the very, very best did. Barry, Manny, Albert, Ted, Mike, Mickey. Um, I can see what I teach in every one of their swings. I can see the stretch. I can see the quickness. I can see the launch quickness. Um, and I am very adamant about there is one best way to swing the bat. That doesn't mean that you can't get to the big leagues and do something different. My opinion will always be you could have been better. Okay. So a lot of these guys, all of those guys have a certain athletic gift, a certain athleticism that you have to have to be at that level. Some of them have better technique than others. Mm -hmm. Some of them are so gifted athletically that they don't have very good technique at all and still perform very well. Some of them are uh, both athletically gifted and have extreme technique. And they're the Hall of Famers. Those are the guys that just put up number after number after number. So in the big leagues, I think there are guys that are defenders that don't hit at all. They're athletic, they play defense, but they don't have very good technique at all. And the only reason they're in the game is because they have a glove. And then there's a next level up, guys that are athletic and have kind of good, somewhat good technique, but not really good. And then there's the all-stars that are very athletic and have pretty good technique all the time, but they don't repeat it as consistently as the very best. And those guys are the gifted and have extremely good technique. So that's how I analyze uh, the big leaguers. That yeah, that makes sense. Question. Yeah, it, it does. And I, I think part of it goes back to, you know, breaking down the swing or the throwing motion or whatever into its component parts. And because I've, you know, I've been a silent watcher of the Twitter conversations, right? And I see people attack different people like, oh, this is BS. You shouldn't be teaching this. This is like, this doesn't make sense. Look at this silly thing. Um, and it's everyone. It's not you. It's everyone else. Like everyone's poking fun at everyone's stuff. But like for like my business partner did hitting at our academy. And he would sometimes tell kids to swing down the ball. Why? Not because he believes a downward bat path is what's good, but rather because these kids come in uppercutting into the heavens. Yeah. And he knows that when he tells them that, all right, it kind of like evens things out yeah. and he's not a quack. He's just trying to get the result that he wants. So are, are, are any, do you have any drills like that where maybe if someone were to look at it out of context, it maybe might not make as much sense to them, but it's got a bigger purpose? Well, if you, if you are current on Twitter and the attacks that I'm getting from former major leaguers, I mean, it's nonstop that they can't have it. They don't have any understanding of why what I teach works when they all swung down. Okay. A real good example of uh, the segments of this, of the 
swing that I teach that looked funny. When I was trying to duplicate Barry Bonds, I was getting fairly close with what I was doing with my hands, but I wasn't there. And I could not see the tilt that I end up teaching. And one day, I, I don't know why, I just, you know, I'm in my basement for two and a half years. I'm just a trial and error maniac. I started tilting. And when I started adding the tilt, the torso tilt, the, the hip socket tilting over the ball of the femur, when I started doing that, I started looking like Barry Bonds. Now, what the most interesting thing of my entire journey is when I look at Barry Bonds' swing, I can't see him tilt. But I can't duplicate his swing unless I tilt. And you're tilting you what, what, what part of your body are you tilting? Torso. Torso. The torso over the ball of the femur. Okay. Tilt back toward the catcher, a little back toward the dugout. Okay, so what happens when I do that? When I tilt my torso over the ball of my femur, my leg instantly snaps. I don't snap my leg. It snaps out of the resistance that's building when I tilt. And so the snap of the leg completely changes the look of what happens. And 99% think that's hip rotation. Okay. I can't look like Bonds unless I tilt. But when I look at Bonds, I can't see his tilt because of what the leg does instantaneously. So when I'm on the internet, the, one of the most, you know, made fun of things I do is this. Mm -hmm. and it's like the thing you have to do. And yet they make fun of it. So, so that's a good point. You're talking, you know, the, the tilt thing and it's, it's what you're kind of like what you would, what you feel, but you don't necessarily see. And yeah. the, I think all the great hitters you named, I think everybody would agree the, you know, Pujols, Mantle, Ramirez, Bonds, they don't have what visually looks like the same swing. Like Barry Bonds has a different setup than Manny. Pujols obviously is wide and no stride. Um, you know, Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams, like these guys all look physically different in the box, the way they're essentially like, from the naked eye, from someone who's not, you know, watching something specific, they don't look like they have the same swing. And I think that's the, some of the disconnect where you have people on Twitter that may, that how you always say, and, and I was well, something I really agree with is you need to swing the bat yeah. to really understand what's happening. Um, similar to probably pitching down. Like if you're, like if you're not playing catch and throwing, you you probably don't have a feel for what a curveball or breaking ball is doing. If you're not swinging, you're not feeling what what Rich just described as like the tilt of you know getting behind you're getting behind your back leg and all that. Uh, so there's there's a lot of disconnect, and I you know I'm on these Twitter wars and I see all these guys and I fall a little bit in the middle of a guy that teaches hitting and guy that you know played the game hitting where it's it seems like on Twitter, there's two ends of the spectrum. There's the people that uh, played the game that want to talk hitting and people that didn't play the game that want to talk hitting. And there's like the clash in the middle. Um, so to swing the bat and, you know, that use of video you talk about, can you can you can you go into a little bit about how you're just analyzing video, breaking down video? Um, you know what some of the things you're looking at are that maybe people aren't seeing in all those great big leaguers that you described yeah and to piggyback think, there rich we got a question and someone just asking basically that same question like what what should a coach be looking for if they're trying to learn some of the stuff that you teach and how you analyze what you're looking for what would you you know relay okay. to a coach 
right? Um, in analyzing video, I think you have to understand the instant the swing is actually launched. You have to understand everything, but you have to first find the instant the bat was launched. And then you know everything before that was loading and everything after that was launched. And can you define launch for me? Uh, you, re you, you released it. The barrel's gone. So like, okay. the, like yeah. as soon as any part of the knob starts to move? Just uh, the... No. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's why I'm asking, because I know, yeah, I mean, for, for like, me being the non-hitting guy in the room, there's tons of dads listening that don't know what you mean, and I, I don't exactly know what you mean. Okay, so when I determine where the launch was, everything before that was loading, you mentioned as soon as the knob moves. Well, the knob can move and it not be launched. Okay. So I've got to find the launch frame. I know everything before that is loading and everything after that is launched. In the loading, this is where you're going to realize that the, or in this analysis, this is where you're going to realize that the hips don't fire first at launch. You're going to realize that the hips were firing before launch. Now, I, let me state up state, the leg was firing before launch, but the upper body was holding it back. And that's where your rubber band is stretching. Yeah. Okay. So when someone looks at video and says he's rotating his hips and his hips went first, his hips were moving first. The leg was moving the hips first, but he still hasn't launched his bat. Yeah. So what is the thing that launches the swing? You have a stretching process and then something causes the launch. Okay. In the stretching process, you're going to see that the leg is turning the hips open and someone's going to say, no, oh, the hips are going first. Yeah, but he hadn't launched yet. I'm talking about what happens at launch. And at launch, the thing that launches the bat is the snap of the hands and the tilt of the torso, simultaneous snap and tilt of the torso. Okay. So when I find that point, and by the way, you figure that out by the blur of the bat, pretty much so. Um, I love 30 frame per second video. I'm okay with 60 frame per second video. I think the biggest analysis mistakes are made from slow motion analysis from 100 frame per second video speed. A lot of these guys, they, they, they like uh, where, where they get a badge of honor because they can play clips at 1,000 frames per second. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to hallucinate when you see something that slow. You're going you're gonna to see something that just makes no sense. Because the swing, a, a good major league swinger is going to be four to five frames from launch to contact. <clears throat> okay? So if you've got at 30 frames per second, there are four to five frames from launch to contact. If you've got 100 frame of video and you see every minute little movement of the swing, you don't see the speed. You don't see the speed that those little minute movements happen. So you lose and that context when you're evaluating. You can't do a hundred different movements. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. do a movement that has some frames. And so when you know that a good swing is four to five frames from launch to contact, then you can see the barrels blur out behind his head. You know that's the launch move, and you can analyze from there what he's actually doing to launch his bat. What did he do to load? What did he do to launch? That's an interesting, that's an interesting concept. I worked with, I work with video a ton, um, not necessarily doing tons and tons of slow motion, although I do do a lot of it. And that's an interesting idea because you're right. You do lose context 
on the acceleration of the body when yeah. you have that slow motion because you just really can't tell like oh the knob moved a micron from this frame to like what actually happened that, that's an yeah. interesting point i hadn't thought about that so so you see that little micron move so now you get in the batter's box and try to create that micron move <laughs> can't mm -hmm. do it yeah. yeah now i want to add that difference between hitting and pitching here is hitting is so reactionary versus pitching is not it's proactive mm -hmm. hitting is reactive and so there's a difference when i analyze a hitter and a pitcher i don't do much pitching but uh you got to understand the task at hand i mean it's the the, the you've got 0.2 seconds to read the pitch and 0.2 seconds to unload your bat give or take okay and so one thing that drives me nuts is these guys that are teaching deceleration. Are you kidding me? In 0.2 seconds, I have to accelerate and decelerate? I mean, it, whether physics tells you that happens or not, it has no, no relationship to instruction. And can you define the deceleration uh, thing for me? I don't. I, deceleration, uh, they're talking about the... Uh, uh, the uh, kinetic chain, how uh, when one link goes and decelerates and passes its energy to the next link, it goes and decelerates and passes its energy to the next link. So in my swing, it would be the leg going, tugging on the hip, which tugs on the back, which tugs on your upper back, which tug and, and they think that each one of those segments has to decelerate before the other one can accelerate. And whether that makes biomechanical or kinematic sense or not, I don't care it makes zero instruction sense. Yeah, and I would agree. So, yeah, so that's, so the, some of the big, you know, I want to transition into Twitter a little bit and we've talked a lot about it on this show. Some of the big disconnect with, you know, hitting Twitter is, is a lot of the kinetic chain biomechanics guys on one side of the spectrum and, and you're on the other side, then in the middle, there is no overlap. Like it feels like there's a, there's always a head butting, um, but simply, I think you just conceded a little bit that some of that stuff may happen. You know, the kinetic chain, it's not that we're denying that the biomechanics are happening in the body or that the body is moving a certain way. It's just that you can't teach it how it's how it's being how it's literally happening in real time. How you said the deceleration of one body part to accelerate a different body part. You know, so when when we're talking about hitting, uh, you say it a lot The you know, what is the big difference between some of these guys that are teaching like the, the proactive biomechanic hitting and what you're teaching, uh, you know, the more of the, the feel and the and the duplicating? I think a really good way to explain the difference between me and them. And I've already touched on it on how I have to know where the load, where the launch was. So I know everything before his load and everything after his launch. What my loading does is it fuses you up into a, a unit where all the biomechanical links are fused together so you don't have four or five links, you have one or two, and they explode. They're fused into a unit. What they teach is these links happen, this, this link acceleration and deceleration happens as you swing. What I teach is all of that has happened before you launch. You've frozen your links into one unit that suddenly bursts. Oftentimes I'll take a piece of plastic or a piece of cardboard and I'll just show this movement here where there's 
there's a load between my two hands here. And when I finally swing, it releases. So this iPad, it, it represents a series of links of your body that are already frozen into a unit that gets released at launch. And what they teach is that these, this iPad um, is a series of links that do all that linking as you launch. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? That does yeah. make sense to. And therefore I get suddenness out of what I teach. I get a suddenness of launch. I, my load, all my load happens before decision, before decision to launch. Much of their loading happens before decision and some of their loading because of their series of links accelerating and decelerating happens after decision and therefore they're not sudden. Now they may be athletic enough to have some results, but they're not doing what the greats do in my opinion. So can you talk about a little, uh, you say one-legged a lot and I understand what that means, but can you explain what one-legged means? I mean, obviously we aren't, when, when you're making contact with the ball, both legs are on the ground. And I think there's a lot of attacking going on that people are, well, what, that's not one-legged. It's not, you know, he's hitting with two legs and that's not really the point of when you explain one-legged. Yeah, the, it goes back to my video analysis of where where is the launch. You have to know what was load and what was launch. You determine the launch frame, and you look at that launch frame, you're going to find that all the great hitters are 100% max coiled at launch. Okay? So you can't be max coiled and have your, foot, your lead leg on the ground. Right, let me say that. You can't have it weighted on the ground. Let me go even further. You can't have the same max coil load the great hitters have, is what I should have said, and have a weighted front leg. Okay? So the issue is, where are you at launch? Again, I go back to everything is the launch. Load versus launch. Where are you at launch? And you, I don't care. It's not only the great hitters. Matt Carpenter's a good hitter, or was. Maybe will be again. <laughs> He's a beautiful example of Max Coil launch, Manny, Albert, Barry, Ted, Mickey, Mike, Adrian Gonzalez, David Ortiz, they're max coiled around their rear hip socket is max coiled around the ball of their rear femur. Okay. Now that leg from that position, that leg may turn you forward so that it looks like your hips are open, but your, your hip is still coiled. It's still closed in the hip socket, even though the leg has turned it forward. And this is the holy grail of hitting, getting kids to understand the relationship between the rear hip and leg. And you will never get this relationship right if you have a weighted front leg. So one-leggedness is getting this rear hip and rear leg proper so that you can launch proper and two-legged is you've already shifted weight to your front leg before you launch. And when you do that, you automatically bleed the relationship between your rear hip and your rear leg. Okay. So yes, at contact and sometimes even before contact, sometimes even before launch on an off-speed pitch, your front leg will receive some weight. But every hitter does their level best to not let that happen. Okay. Yeah. And that's... You know, excuse me for just like quizzing you, but I 
the the big thing on Twitter is a lot of times when you go into your threads and your posts, like you do give out a lot of free content. And what I don't I don't think people appreciate enough is that guys that are attacking, hitting Twitter, you know, quote unquote gurus are the the big knock on a lot of these guru guys is they give you a little bit and if you want the rest of it, it's 120 bucks an hour. It's 150 bucks an hour. And that's a lot of the knock on, you know, some of these guys that never work with a hitter a day in their lives are on Twitter preaching, uh, you know, come to me, pay, and I'll make you a better hitter without any actual results. So when you're on Twitter, you're giving a lot of information, but a lot of it is, I don't want to say coded, but maybe it's not necessarily in layman's terms. And you're, you're asking, yeah. you're, you're kind of giving, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're kind of giving them a blueprint and you really want people to hit and swing the bat and try and feel something for themselves. Um, so I'm just, some of these questions I'm asking are trying to get a little bit of clarification for some of these, uh, for some of the people yeah. that are reading some of your, you know, longer threads. Yeah. And I'm in that I, same boat where again, I'm like a, I'm a pitching guy. I feel like I'm reasonably well-informed, but I don't necessarily speak your lingo and I don't necessarily know much about your concept. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear you out today, which is great. Um, but I'm, I'm yeah, like like Bobby said, we're, I think we're both trying to help clarify for just some of the moms and dads. Yeah, I get accused of talking in riddles all the time, and I don't agree with that. I will agree that my lingo is way different than everybody else's because what I teach is way different than everybody else, and I don't know any other way to say it. Now I'm constantly looking for four or five different ways to say the same thing. And I found some things that work, but when, when I, when a guy that has followed me on Twitter actually comes and works with me and they have their aha moment, I say the same things in person that I wrote on Twitter. There's no secret. I haven't saved the secret until they came and worked with me. There's no secret. I say the same things. What I don't let them do in person is shortcut or avoid one of the things I talked about on Twitter. And that's generally the case. What most people don't understand is how deep the stretch and fire is, how, how deep the stretch gets. They get maybe 60% stretched and think they're doing it right. They may be 80% stretched and they think they're doing it right. And when they come to me and I get them completely stretched, oh my God, I've never felt this before in my life. And wow, the bat, the bat snaps and they, oh man, that's what, and you didn't say anything different to me, okay? So, and what Bobby said, that's why you have to swing the bat. If anybody on Twitter would engage with me, if I, I die, I hope one of the biggest naysayers on Twitter will eventually engage with me and start to swing a bat and I will instruct him on Twitter through video. He will eventually move from a total naysayer to a total endorser if he will go through the process. But everybody wants to pick up the bat. They want to read what I say, pick up the bat, and within an hour or so, know what I teach. Or, you know, 15 minutes or two days, something. It's not going to happen. Um, one of my good friends, Ron Bono, who sells the UT, he always accuses me of giving away all my information for free. And I do. I, everything I know is typed on Twitter. 
If I die, Twitter is the uh, documentary of what I knew, even though no one understands it. <laughs> They're very right. Right. There's only a few guys understand it. You know, that's I want to transition in a little bit. He's talking about the guy, you know, we had one at one of your biggest critics on uh, last week or Dan, man, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe last Monday, uh, Jeff Fry, former big leaguer, um, you know, by all accounts, a really successful major league career, you know, 290 hitter. And I, you know, I'm curious to hear your take on, on his swing. Um, Cause you guys get into it a lot, but what he did and, you know, everything that he did mechanically worked for him and kept him in the big leagues and had, he was very, you know, successful, had a long career, but it, it sounds like your opinion is that he probably had more or he had, you know, he's definitely athletic enough. You know, he had a, he's kind of fell into that category of athletic and did things consistently. Um, but maybe not at a hall of fame level, you know, did you, have you watched much of his swing, uh, just him specifically and, and where he may like lack what some of the stuff that you're teaching or do something different? I have found three or four swings of his and I put it, I put him next to Barry or Manny or Albert or somebody. And you're exactly right. There was so much more. Jeff Fry couldn't play in the big leagues today doing what he did back then. Back then, you didn't have to hit home runs to play second base or shortstop. Today, if you don't hit 20, you don't, you're, someone else is going to. Uh, the one thing that's really cool that I like to see is Jose Altuve and Jose Ramirez and uh, Mookie Betts is not a very big guy. Scott Kingery is not a very big guy. These guys are hitting home runs. And you have to have some OPS to play in the big leagues these days. You don't see the leadoff hitter slapping a single to get on base to, to score in front of Jack Clark or, or something like that anymore. You've right. got to be able to hit. You've got to be able to drive the baseball. Whether it goes out of the park or not, some of them will. You don't have to hit 50. Um, but Jeff Fry was a Judy. You know, he doesn't like when I say that. He was a Judy. He was a singles hitter. Okay, 16 home runs in, in I forget, 10 years, 1.6 home runs a year. He would not play in the big leagues today. It's a different game. So, and I think that the fun of baseball, if you're not a pitcher, is driving the baseball, squaring the baseball. Okay, there's some fun playing defense if you're good at it. I really enjoyed catching. Okay, I was a catch and throw guy. I threw him out. I loved it. But the real fun of the game is squaring up the ball, in my opinion, when you're up to bat. So what Jeff didn't do, what Jeff, what he swung with his arms. And your arms can only do so much. Um, he doesn't, he never got the stretch that would snap the barrel through the zone. Um, he's a two-legged hitter. So, so I, I want to transition away from really that, but, you know. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit more about how the games change. And, you know, I was watching a, uh, I think it was like the 1970 World Series on Periscope like a couple weeks ago. And you can just tell, like, the starting pitcher of game five of the World Series was throwing 85. I mean, you could just tell. Like, it's just soft. You know, and that doesn't take away anything from their accomplishments. It doesn't. I mean, it's remarkable to last any amount of time in the major leagues, especially five, ten years, which is, I mean, that's the most infinitesimal of infinitesimal um, skill as far as baseball and the, the history of the world. Um, but you're right. Like pitchers back then throwing 85 wouldn't exist today. 
there's a lot of pitchers that have skills that could exist today. There's a lot of hills hitters that could potentially exist today, but the game's changed. So what do you feel like people need to know as far as amateurs go? What do they need to know to be adequately prepared to play in today's game? Well, from a hitting standpoint, they have to have launch quickness. They have to be sudden. They have to burst. They have to be, they have to have a quickness level that most of them don't understand yet. Aaron didn't understand how quick he could be. Um, Scott didn't understand how quick they could be. They all talk bat speed. Bat speed is not the answer. Uh, John Olerud, I've heard, had the lowest bat speed of any major leaguer, and yet he was a good hitter. Okay. Um, it's the quickness. It's the ability to get your barrel to the ball, ability to get the barrel there, square the ball, and where it goes, it goes. So from a hitting standpoint, you have to be sudden. Okay? Yeah, so the, the, something you mentioned there with, um, you know, he didn't have the greatest bat speed, but he was a good hitter. You know, all the rage in baseball now is data. You know, how much data you can collect, how much data you can, you know, obtain and give back to to the player you do it are you using data what what are you i always like to say that the baseball is the best data because the baseball tells you everything about your swing if you square the ball up and you're strong and you've got a and you know you've got quick bat like the ball is going to go and the if you could have perfect mechanics according to your instructor and the ball could go nowhere so what data are you using you know where do you fall in the data um uh, you know, I, I know I know where you fall, but for everyone listening, I don't have a tool here. I don't have hit tracks. I don't have blast motion. I don't have Rapsodo. I do have a pocket radar that has been in my drawer, and I haven't used it since I've opened my facility. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't believe in data. I, I believe in the cause, not the result. The cause is a good swing that barrels the ball. The result is the data. To use the result to teach the cause is nonsense. For the, from the history of the game, the minor leagues are full of hitters that put on a batting, pla- batting practice display that's amazing, and yet they can't hit in the game. All those guys that put on a BP display have great data, but they don't have game data. They don't have the results in the game. So I don't pull it out. I, I, I've never used it with any of my hitters. I don't own any of it. I've never used it. Um, I get irritated. Like when I go work with Aaron on, he call, he'll call me out and we'll, I'll meet him in Tampa or I'll meet him in Seattle or wherever, wherever the Yankees are. I'll find a facility. And if I find a facility and they turn hit tracks on while I'm there, it irritates me. Because Aaron will take a swing and he'll look up and see what it measures. He'll take another swing and he'll look up and see what it measured. Another, 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 another. And pretty soon he's muscled up trying to bust a number instead of working on his quickness that barrels the ball. Aaron is huge. He's got power. All he has to do is square it. That number is meaningless. So I think something you touched on right there is a, is a good point as far as the, like the results and, you're not using data and you get attacked a lot on Twitter by guys that are also not using data. And um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, is you're teaching uh, like the swing, if, if I'm correct, right. You're teaching uh, 
the most efficient swing the way you understand it. But I don't, I've never really heard you talk about hitting or approach or, you know, two strike approach or anything like that. You know, I think that's where a lot of these big leaguers, um, the Jeff Fries or anybody else that's on his side, I think that's where, you know, the separation comes in is those guys can, I think, talk hitting. And I think their knowledge is very valuable hitting, you know, what they felt in the box, what they're looking for, how they approach facing Nolan Ryan or Mariano Rivera or somebody that's really good. Whereas you're talking a lot more about what you're about, you know, how you get ready to hit somebody that's throwing. You're not necessarily describing, okay, it's one Oh, we're looking fastball away or anything like that. You know, are you teaching approach? Are you strictly teaching the swing? You know, when you're talking with, you know, Aaron or any other big leader? I never talk approach with them because I've never been in their batter's box. Between, between me and David Matranga, David was a, he had four big league at bats in 11 years in the minor leagues. David will talk approach with them. He understands that. He understands figuring out what a pitcher's trying to do to you and what he's likely to do in this count or that count. And uh, I talk swing with Aaron. David talks approach with Aaron. Okay. What I teach allows the pro- the approach to work. So you if you improve their swing, they can see the ball deeper. They can they have more time to react deeper. and all that. They've got more time to execute their approach yeah and that's a that's a one of these strange things that i've seen on the interwebs is that people are like there's more than there's more than hitting there's more than the swing it's like yeah. yeah we know like but some people my business partner was another good example he didn't play you know super high level but he was a really good instructor and he's like look at a certain point i sort of max out with what i experience as a player and I'm really good at teaching the swing. I'm really good at relating to kids. I really care about what I'm doing. But at a certain point, you might want to talk to someone else about like their approach to a guy throwing 89 mile per hour cutter, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's fair. I think that's reasonable. I didn't play in the big leagues. And one of the things I appreciated about every level I did climb was that I learned all these little fascinating nuances. But I also know that I didn't play in the big leagues. So there's, if I'm sitting next to a big league pitching guy who played five years in the majors, he's going to have unique knowledge that I just didn't have. And that doesn't make me feel any less. I just sort of know like where I go and and the lanes that I fit into. And it's weird when we're attacking each other for a completely different lane. Like you just stated very clearly, you teach the swing and that's your lane. And I think that's completely fine. And if you pass them on to someone else, I think that's okay. If I say anything about approach, I say this, I don't care what the count is. I don't care. I mean, if you want to choke up an inch or two, I don't care. But I want you to execute your good swing, whatever your approach was. I don't think you want a two-strike swing versus a other swing. I want your swing to be your swing that you can execute within whatever approach you have. Gotcha. A a former, uh, he's deceased now. Last name was McMillan. Doug McMillan was one of the first guys on my hitting site back in 2006. He was a scout for the Giants. And he had a son playing at UCLA at the time. He eventually got drafted. And he would talk a lot about approach. And he said that it didn't matter what the count was. You have to take your good swing. So he says in any given at bat, you're going to be lucky to get one pitch to hit. 
at the professional level. You better swing at it. It doesn't matter if the count's 0 3-0, 2-2, 1-2, whatever. You better swing at it because you're going to get one pitch to hit. And he said you get four at-bats. If you do that and execute, you're going to have four good swings. You're going to hit two of them hard. A couple of them are going to get caught. You're going to be a 300 hitter. Yeah. He says you can't let the umpire take you off the plate. If they're, throwing, if they're calling them off the plate – Go sit down. Take your take your K. Go go sit down. Don't change your swing to hit that ball because that's going to affect your next at bat. That yeah. was really interesting. Time. Rich, we got a question on on YouTube uh, from Todd, and he says, "What about those studies? Which I don't exactly know which ones he's referencing. Uh, using force plates that show players have a significant amount of weight on their front foot at launch. That doesn't exist. The key word you said at launch." So you're who saying, are they, who are they studying? See, that's a little trick question he put in there. Well, the, the force plates, the force plate readings on what I teach and what they teach will be identical. What's different is where the launch was in that reading. Okay, so you're saying the force plates for maybe a less skilled hitter, yes. they're going to have did more they, weight shift have, a little. It's going to be Did a different. They have Barry or Manny or Albert or Ted or Mike or Adrian or Mickey on their force plates. Okay. Or did they fair. have Jeff Fry? But I think <laughs> you throw, said it throw too. In, throwing haymakers here this morning. <laughs> I think you said it too. It's it's not that the readings will be different on the force plate. It's the timing when? will be different. The timing will the, be different. The yes. timing of the gotcha. reading will be exactly. And everybody knows weight shifts from back to forth. That's all the force plate shows. When did it happen in relation to the launch? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So a lot. So what, how I would describe, um, you know, pitchers, Dan, and maybe you can verify this or tell me I'm, I'm oh, I'll verify it. I've been ready to verify anything since <laughs> 7 a.m. this morning, Rob. I'm going to say um, the goal of the hitter and or excuse me, the pitcher and the reason they throw off speed pitches and different pitches is to get the hitter on their front side yes. early, like to lose their backside and to get their weight forward because uh, just from my own experience and that's all I can speak on if if I'm on my front side early I only have so much power I only have so much ability to drive the baseball whereas if I stay back and I can stay back longer and kind of you know in what I call like that 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 arrow pulled back um, you know ready to punch position I can drive the baseball and that's what, you know, nobody's arguing with a lot of the guys that, that use all the data that there is some kind of weight shift and that the weight is shifting. It's, it's when, you know, it's, it's the guys that are teaching you to actively get to your front leg and kind of, and either wait there and, you know, kind of wait in that position. And that's a lot. I heard that all the time playing and I never understood it and I could never reverse engineer it to make it work for me in the game. And it's to, you know, how do you hit a curveball? Well, you get your foot down and you wait. And it never made any sense to me because I never felt good and I never felt strong with my foot down. When, now, you say, when you say foot down, there's a difference between foot down and foot down and weighted. Right, right. Absolutely. Because someone like Albert Pujols who doesn't stride, he's he's got weight on both feet and then he gets unweighted on his left leg, his front leg, 
and gets coiled around everything, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're teaching, but he gets unweighted and then he gets, and then it gets weighted again before he swings. So the, I always ask, I'm, I'm throw this out on Twitter a lot and I don't really get a good answer. And it's how do you, how do you hit a curveball? How do you teach someone to hit a curveball? Because that's really the ultimate separator. If I, if I only personally had to time up a fastball, regardless of the speed, yeah, everybody could do it. Everybody could do it. 110 miles an hour. You could eventually figure out how to do it. it. Might take you a little longer, but you could do it. And it's the ability to react, and how that. All right, reaction, Bobby, you're, you're you know, done. Rich, how do, how do you hit a curveball? Yeah, Rich, how do you hit a curveball? You you keep stretching. That's what people don't understand. There is no load. There's loading, and then you release it. And so, if you're constantly loading, and it's a fastball, you're going to release it a little earlier. Then if you're constantly loading and you get an off-speed pitch, you're going to stretch it a little more. The problem with with amateur hitters or hitters who don't hit right is they have a backward load and a forward launch instead of a backward load and a continued backward launch. That's huge. It's absolutely mind-blowing when you figure it out. Rich, I've seen... I have some slow motion video from uh, some major league games. I've seen hitters as they get an off-speed pitch, their back leg lunges straight down to the ground as as they're slowing. You don't really see them lean forward on some of them, yeah. the ones they do better. Their back leg sinks down like a lunge. Can you comment on that phenomenon? Is, yeah. The center of gravity is lowering because they are continuing. I know you can't see, but... They're continuing to coil. They're continuing to try to stay back for that off-speed pitch. And as they continue to coil and their weight starts to go forward, their center of gravity lowers. They're doing their damnedest to not let this weight shift. And by in the process of doing that, they lower, and then they still have a loaded leg to snap out of. Yeah, and that's an interesting phenomenon. I'm going to see if I can pull up a video of that. I have one, but... Um, I've, got a, I've got a really good side-by-side of Barry Bonds hitting two home runs, one on a fastball, one on a pitch that it looks like he's just totally fooled, but he just keeps loading, keeps coiling, keeps coiling as he's waiting for that ball. His center of gravity keeps getting lower and lower. Snap. Home run. Yeah, and you and you, and you kind of you hit it on the head there. Like, you, like they're doing their damnedest to stay back, and yeah. not every swing in the game is, is perfectly mm-hmm. – uh, you know, mechanically sound or how you would want to teach it, but that's the nature of hitting. And, you know, I heard Michael Young talk and Michael Young for numbers wise, I honestly haven't really looked at a lot of his video, but numbers wise, like Michael Young batting champion, like really, really good hitter, really successful hitter. And he talks about really only getting your perfect swing off ideally 25% of the time. He goes the rest of the time, the other 75%, you're fighting yourself, you're fighting your body, you're fighting what you see to get off a really good swing and try and barrel the baseball. And it's, I thought that made a lot of sense. You know, it's not, it can't be perfect in the game. You're not, you know, nobody's perfect to, to, to have those perfect mechanics. It's just, it's not feasible, but you're trying, you're fighting against everything that your body wants to naturally do, which is just kind of like jump forward and throw energy into the baseball uh, consistently in the box. Um, before Dan pulls that up, I don't know if you got it, Dan. Uh, Rich, I want to put something to bed for you. Ha- have you ever said the word launch angle in the cage? Never. <laughs> That's I a won't big... say never. I mean, some guy will ask me a question and we'll talk about launch angle, okay? I never bring it up as an instructor. Yeah, and I think that's that's a big uh, that's a big buzz phrase, buzzword, launch angle. 
but I don't think that's a new concept in baseball. I mean, I, ever since I was little and Dan, I'm, when you were a hitter, I was always taught that line drives were the best result. Like hit, and line drives for at least from my understanding have never been hit on the ground. Line drives <laughs> are always hit in the air. So at some point, you know, the ball is taking off and uh, an instruction point. I always like to, uh, to use with younger hitters and even college or, you know, older guys is, you know, there's, there's less guys in the outfield than there are in the infield. Drive the ball into the outfield. Yeah. Don't, you don't need to hit pop-ups. We're not sure, you know, not everybody has the natural, you know, strength, especially when they're really young to hit the ball over the infield and get it over the outfielders heads. But you want to square the ball up with some authority into the outfield, into the gaps, gap to gap hitter. Those guys play a long time in the big leagues. What do you yeah, got, Dan? I'm 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 struggling with our tech. I don't want to go dark with the mic. I'm uh I, I just pulled it up and I felt like that muted us for a second. So we're gonna forego video time for the moment. But um, Rich, a question I have for you is: when you talk about swings, do you find that there's a difference between the baseball swing and the softball swing? No, exact same swing. <laughs> That's. Elaborate, yeah, I, elaborate for me. Is it just because <laughs> we're all humans? I mean, I think this is a stu- it's it's a stupid old idea that like well, first of girls all, need a swing. Di- Go ahead. The only difference in the game is a rise ball, and they never throw it for a strike. So the answer is don't swing at it. Now I realize that's hard to do because I've played a lot of fast pitch softball and I've swung and missed at a lot of rise balls. Okay, but that's more in the category of approach. Okay, but with what I teach. One thing I get a kick out of is um, most of the swings I demonstrate are swings where my barrel goes down, uh, say for a pitch down the middle or low. And they don't understand how that same action can take the barrel high. This hand pivot goes this direction or that direction. Okay. And so if you're going to read rise ball, you're going to pivot your bat at a higher level than you are on a lower level but you know it's it's uh it it i don't even think it makes logical sense we're swinging a bat to hit a ball and because in one game the ball goes up therefore it needs another swing you're still swinging a bat to hit a ball okay there's one good way to swing the bat, and that is to be to have launch quickness, to be able to launch instantly so that you can read the pitch longer. If you can read the pitch longer, you're gonna make better decisions. You're gonna be able to read that rise ball is out of the gonna be out of the zone or it's not. Okay. So that's my that's my stuff. Well that's good. I think softball so I think softball has lagged even farther behind, and I'm sure you'd probably agree from baseball. I mean they're just it seems like teaching hasn't changed. It seems like they haven't been quote unquote exposed by slow motion video, like showing what actually happens. Like, act, you know, there's tons of footage of tons and tons of major league stars in their swings, but there's not as much footage of softball stars. There's not yeah. as much slow motion footage. And it feels like everyone's suffered because of that, where you can, you can still teach things. Like I watched a throwing video by a, a, a legendary coach in softball who's still coaching but literally almost everything he was teaching as far as the overhand throw was wrong. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I don't still respect the man. He's not a fantastic coach, but like how, like if there was enough slow motion video or good video out there, 
what he was teaching would have been exposed as just like laughable many years yeah. ago, right? And, and so I think softball's lagged from that. So I, I think it's good to hear that girls can swing, quote unquote, like boys. I mean, really, we're all just humans and drive the ball. Because I like it. I had a girl that we trained in my academy. She was super strong for being like five foot one, five foot two. She could put the ball out of the yard for sure. But they made her into, a, they wanted to make her into a slapper because she was also super fast. I always felt that was really disappointing that she yeah. couldn't just sort of keep both aspects of her game. And because she absolutely could hit 10 jacks in D1 softball every year. Yeah. For sure she could. She had the pop to do it. And at the very least, she could hit 15 doubles. But instead, they relegate her to what you'd call, quote unquote, a Judy. A Judy. Just hitting singles. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't right just because the game has molded like, all right, if you're not, if you're super fast, you have to hit the ball this way. You can't drive the ball. I think that's a shame. I mean, do you feel that same way as far as um, the way softball hitters are used? I I actually disagree slightly. I would say in the last two or three years, maybe four, softball has adopted what I teach way quicker than baseball has. But I agree with you beyond, beyond that. Five, six, eight, ten years ago, they were so ingrained in what they taught. They were not open to anything. They would not change a thing. Swing the bat and slap your bat with the, with the, with the follow through and all kinds of slap it and all kinds of stuff. Uh, right now, there's a ton of D1 softball programs teaching what I teach. Well, that's good. And there's not a ton. There's not any that I know of major league organizations that teach what I teach. You know, I think the one of the, one of the organizations that that does a good job with at least they have a good track record for developing hitters is the Dodgers. Um, you know, have yeah. you watched a lot of those guys, the younger yeah. guys? Uh, Gavin Lux is a guy that's from the from this area that I'm from. You know, Chicago, Southern Wisconsin area. And do you do you see a lot of those guys? I mean, Bellinger won the MVPs. You know, Jack Peterson's got a lot of power. That Justin Turner. There's a lot of guys that that are good established big league hitters i want to change my statement there is one organization teaching what i teach <laughs> whether it's my stuff or whether it's wallenbrock stuff um it's the dodgers uh, uh cody bellinger is amazing so is uh he's now a red sox uh what's his name um uh, betts oh mookie betts uh no the guy that went to the Sox. is a jock alex verdugo oh, verdugo okay, okay. Um, by the way, I, I have some experience with Jock Peterson. He, he does things really well. Got a kick out of him in the home run derby. So consistently just snapping his barrel. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a slow process. Uh, and the Jeff Fry group, um, the X's, I think they're a little, um, put off by the major league organizations hiring people off Twitter. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. But aren't, you on, but aren't you on Twitter? Yeah, but I'm not going to work for a major organization. Here's why. Didn't you offer yourself to one? I would, I would be a consultant. I won't be a, a hired person. Here's why. First of all, if I'm hired to, say, be the coordinator, every, if they don't let me bring my people with me, it's going to be a mess. Every organization have a guy teaching something different than what I teach. We did. Let's don't start. A ball, double A, triple A, rookie. If there's a guy teaching something different, let's don't start. My value would be as an as a consultant. 
would be to help the organizations who have spent some money on a player, a first rounder, second rounder, whatever, they spent some money on him and he's not performing. Turn him over to me. Let me see if I can get him to work kind of on a case by case basis. Yeah. And that's a good point. Cause uh, you know, being in the minor leagues, the, the hitting coaches that I have, we didn't talk a whole lot of mechanics um, and you're in spring training and, Spring training is really not the time to learn mechanics. Spring training is a time to to try and get yourself in a a, a consistent, successful position um, mm-hmm. and to perform. You're trying to win a job in spring training. It's not a it's not a time to go there. Uh, you know, a little bit out of shape or maybe not work. You know, where you need work on your swing. You kind of need to hit the ground running. Um, so those guys up and down. You know, hitting coaches at all levels that I had, they were all former players. And they were all communicating how to hit, what to look for, how to prepare yourself. And we didn't talk mechanics all that much, even if we asked. Like, even if I asked, you know, I felt off and I said, you know, uh, Denny Hawking was a guy I had. A, he was a 13, I think he had 13, parts of 13 years in the big leagues, nine full seasons um, as a utility guy. Great guy, great hitting coach a guy you bounce ideas off of and he gives you what he thought, what he worked for him, what he thought would work. He would talk a little bit of mechanics, but to make an overhaul swing change or something, even the start of spring training just wasn't realistic. And it wasn't a, you know, like you said, the guys that need specific calculated, you know, changes in their swing, maybe they're high rounders or big investments. Those guys would need something. I think more of what you're offering than, than, kind of what the ex-ball players and I understand where they're coming from are shouting from the rooftops that players want input from guys that play that have been that level and can take them to that level or give them the information that they don't currently have about the level they're trying to get to. And there's a wave of, um, how do I say it? You mentioned mechanics are never taught or never talked about in spring training. They just helped you try to hit with what your mechanics were. Now there's a wave of there is a better mechanic. Okay. Not not in the big leagues yet, but it's coming up. You can see the talk. It's growing. It's percolating someday. And uh, Paige Odell says, when today's nine-year-olds – our major leaguers, what I teach will be adopted and accepted. Very yeah, pre- prescient statement there, Richard. <laughs> well, yeah. Looking into the future. Um, no, but I like it. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to own whatever it is that you teach. And I mean, you clearly do that. Um, how do you feel like that change is going to come about with people? It's going to come le- about le- through leading- amateur. Through amateur baseball, amateurs getting better and better and undeniably better, and they're going to get drafted. And it's just, it's going to start at the grassroots and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And more and more and more people are going to be doing what we teach. And eventually it's just going to take over. And then when those guys that have major league experience start talking approach, and this guy now has a hit, a, a swing that allows him more time to execute his approach, then we can keep up with the changes that are being made in pitching the velocity and the pitch design the tunneling we can keep up with that you know rich the one guy that the one ex-big leader that's got a big platform alex rodriguez you know he 
he demonstrates and talks about hitting and he talks about swinging down. Uh, I, I agree with him that the bat does go down. Like you essentially swing down, but the way he demonstrates it is, is to go directly down to the ball, kind of meet it at one point where that's not exactly what's happening. And, and I think that's a lot of the disconnect. Alex Rodriguez, you know, for my money, if Alex Rodriguez is in the room, he's the most knowledgeable hitting guy like i'm gonna listen to him his his words carry a lot more weight than everybody else in the room pretty much because of the success that he had but everything he's saying might not mirror what he was doing you know how do you feel about the the swing down and the and how big leaguers and guys these ex-big leaguers guys like a rod and even jeff fry are verbalizing their swing and what can what can people take from what they're saying uh and apply it to themselves. Um, they can take everything they take, except they have to do it from one leg. Um, <clears throat> when out, when when you see Albert Pujols on MLB Network or A Rod or Chipper or Jim Tomey or any of these ex-major leaguers showing their T swings and their workouts and how they're swinging basically A to B straight down to the ball off the tee. But yet you put them in a game and they don't do that. So where is the disconnect? Years ago, I stopped listening to major league players and started watching them. My effort to duplicate Barry Bonds, I didn't give a shit what he said. I was going to try to duplicate what I saw. And in the process of doing that, I figured some things out that create quickness. Okay. So Fast forward several years, then I started trying to reconcile their words with their actions. And it's real obvious that I can swing down from one leg, and by the time my front foot hits the ground, my barrel's going up. But if I swing down after I've weighted my front leg, my barrel stays down. So it is my belief that what they teach with the swing down part of what they teach, the upper body part of what they teach is fine. But Albert and Barry and Manny or Albert and Chipper and the guys demonstrate a rod demonstrating on MLB net have no clue that they swung one leg. And if I asked them, do you swing from one leg or two? They would say two because they don't even understand. They don't have any, they've never even contemplated are they swinging from their back leg or are they swinging after their weight shifts to their front leg? And when you swing down from your back leg and let the weight shift as you swing, your barrel will go up through the ball. But if you swing down after you've planted your front foot, your barrel will stay down. Yeah, so it sounds a, sounds a little bit of like, you know, do it, watch, when you're watching these guys, what they're saying isn't necessarily mirroring what they did, but it was more of a feel. We talk a lot about feel, and I think feel is important. It's like what you, they were thinking and feeling. When is, you put them in the game, the speed of the game and the readiness they have to have to hit that 95-mile-an-hour fastball, their body gets into a completely different load position than it does off the tee. When they're hitting off the tee and swinging down, they're, they're getting a feel that they want to have with their upper body, with their hands, and every time they shift their weight first, then swing, shift their weight first, then swing. 
But when they get into a game, the game itself causes them, with unbeknownst to them, most in my belief, to get into a position of one-legged back stretched because they know the challenge at hand requires quickness. And when they swing from this position in a game, they get a different looking result than when they swung from their uh, batting practice or their T uh, position, which didn't require quickness. Right. So a lot of these uh, on Twitter and Danny, you yeah, know, I'm, jump I'm, in if I'm, you... I'm bickering with someone on YouTube about uh, coaching terminology. So there's a, a guy saying, um, he says that the concept of rubber band can become problematic and that the word spring should instead instead be used because the word rubber band will cause an arm bar. Do you, do you have any comment on this? Um, I'm my, and use, I'm defending you and saying, well, I'm defending everyone in the world and saying that, look, they're just words, rubber band just, spring. They're just I, words. I use them both. I have a, de a demo that I use that I call the spring. I use rubber band a lot. I use a uh, bow and arrow a lot. I use slingshot a lot. Um, swimmies, swamis, slappies, slippies, Sam, Samsonite, Samsonite. If I have 10 people standing in here and I say the same thing to all 10 of them, I'm likely to get 10 different interpretations. And so I'm always looking for a different way of saying the same thing. Um, I think the guy's loony if he <laughs> thinks there's some difference between <laughs> spring and rubber band. Well, it's an interesting debate. I mean, people talk about this on Twitter. I remember Trevor Bauer saying that if you teach a curveball by saying like chop down with it then you're an idiot and it's like i've taught a lot of kids a lot of curveballs and i sometimes say that and a lot of those kids develop really good curveballs yeah here's a real it's just, good it's, example. Ju it's just a way of helping them understand the motion here's a real good example you alluded to it earlier and i meant to touch on it when justin turner had his swing change he had been uh he had been thinking stay back, let the ball get deep, blah, blah, blah. And his unbelievable change came when he tried to hit the ball out front, okay? And yet, I'm one of the guys that is going to tell you to let the ball get deep. So what, what's the, how do you reconcile that? If a guy is too far back, out front's going to make sense to him. If a guy's too far out front, staying back is going to make sense to him or it's going to help him. Understand? Mm -hmm. It really, the words you use have different meaning from from the spot you hear them from. If I'm if I'm staying back and spinning, getting forward is going to help me. If I'm getting forward and pulling off balls and rolling over balls, staying back is going to help me. Yeah, that makes sense. It needs the context. Yeah, that's definitely. I think that explanation right there is a lot of, you know. A lot of what hitting Twitter is, is guys are trying to give absolutes to hitters and not everything works for everybody just based on how you say it. You know, if you got a kid who's consistently, you know, an hour late on fastballs, sometimes you have to tell him, look, try and hit the ball in the in the pull side dugout. And yeah. that's not necessarily like an absolute teaching point that you want every kid to do, but he needs to hear that similar to what Justin needed to hear from uh did he hit with wallenbrock i'm not sure who justin uh doug, uh, doug so mm -hmm. whatever doug is you know part of being good at relaying information is to is to have you know 
three or four different ways or 10 different ways to explain what you want them to do and what it should look like in your head. I and oftentimes, in order to get people to understand how the hip has to work around the ball of the femur, instead of coil back to unload forward, it has to kind of roll. I'm oftentimes asking my new hitters who are, who are just starting trying to learn what I teach to hit a pop-up to the pitcher. Right. I don't want them to hit a pop-up to the pitcher in a game, but in order to get them to get their hip socket to roll properly over the ball of the femur, I ask them to hit a pop-up to the pitcher. On the other hand, I've asked, I've asked hitters to hit the ball straight down in the ground in front of the plate in order to get them to stop doing the opposite of that. So would this go back to your um, idea that, well, the, not your idea, but you know, you talked about Manny Ramirez talking, tossing balls up to himself and pumping them over the center field wall. I mean, have you ever hit a catcher pop up? I'm sure you have hit a bunch in your life. They're hard to hit. I mean, same kind of concept. You have to really load up, yeah. toss farther up, yeah. meet the ball there. Um, it was funny. I, I taught baseball in Turkey last last April, and they, I mean, they had no foundation of like any baseball skill really. And one of the first things we had to do that I figured out, I'm like, I have to teach these kids how to hit each other fly balls and ground balls. Because yeah. if I don't and I leave the country, they have no way to like help each other get better at fielding. Yeah. But I also <laughs> realized that it was just good for their coordination. It was good for their swings because you can't hit a fly ball with that like choppy downward swing. Yeah. You just can't do it. And so they start to figure it out and they start to do some of these things. And there's probably a lot of stuff going on that you teach, like loading up your back hip that you don't think about that tossing a ball up and hitting it can probably help you with. Think about, uh, you don't see it much anymore, but pregame in, infield practice, your coach is hitting ground balls to the infield. He's also hitting fly balls to the outfield as they throw to their bases. Pay attention to how he hits fly balls. He's going to throw it up and he's going to swing from one leg to hit a pot, to hit, to hit a fungal to the outfield. And he's going to throw it up and shift his weight to hit ground balls to the infield. What does that tell you about what you should be doing in a game if you want to hit line drives? Yeah, he's basically giving you like a little bit of a blueprint, uh, yeah. probably and un, probably, you know, subconsciously doing it, not thinking about what he's doing. He just does it. And I think, you know, a little bit of where baseball lacks now that I think, you know, and Rich, you're older than you're older than I am, and I'm. Dan, you're also older than I am, I think, which makes me f- good proud. math, Bobby. Yeah. Math, yeah. But uh, when I was, when I, you know, growing up playing, like we played games against each other, you know, we play, you know, lob, lob league, lob, you know, you throw slow pitch tennis ball, see how far you could hit it. And a lot of that stuff that you want kids to do, like a lot of us were doing naturally when we were younger and throwing, you know, I always had a rubber ball at my parents' house, throwing it against the stairs, field it, throw yeah. it. Uh, playing pepper like things that seem like ancient and old school quote unquote are things that help a lot and give you some kind of a a foundation for baseball movements that we just don't see anymore guys have i hit mammo mammo fungos by the way i hit some <laughs> of the best fungos in the business so my back probably hit, one-legged I'm, I'm all up on that femur just bringing the rain trying to get <laughs> trying to get them out at the universities have you ever been to the university of cincinnati their ballpark it's a, lovely, it's a lovely facility. No, I my summer team played there a bunch the last couple of years. Yeah, it's great. I love trying to pump one out of that massive center field wall from from the yeah. dugout. It's a it's a it's a knock if you can do it. But it's getting off in that off in my femur to do that. It's for you, Rich. It's for you. Yeah, thank you. 
<laughs> Cincy's a cool cool town. What's your favorite baseball town, Rich? Is it St. Louis? Town? Or, yeah. Um I don't know. I I I live in St. Louis, so I hear all about the Cardinals and I guess I'm a Cardinal fan. But anymore, I don't watch Cardinal games. I watch Yankee and Philly games, Cub games. Because you've been, players you've been to Citizens Bank? I have. It's a beautiful ballpark. It's, yeah. I mean, it's so underrated. Yeah. Flies into the, I mean, I think all those ballparks that followed the Camden Yards design, yeah. of course, Camden Yards doesn't have the open stadium concourse, which is like yeah. one of the, I mean, all ballparks have that today. It's, it's an amazing. Yeah. But Citizens Bank is... I think it really flies under the radar as far as being really intimate yeah. and cozy. Kind of feels like yeah. that coziness that, Fen- mm-hmm, that Fenway has. I haven't and- been. I haven't been to Pittsburgh. I hear how good that is. I haven't been there, but uh, the places I've been, I, I counted the other day. There's 30 stadiums. I've been to like 23 or 24 of them. Uh, Citizens Bank ranks right up there. What about Nationals Park? Haven't been. They also a similar field. It's a little more open than than uh, Philly. Feels a little bigger. But they just yeah. do a great job. Just it's a, like a really fun environment. Yeah. I went to two games. My first two games ever. I went to two games in September, and they're doing the baby shark dude. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but this <laughs> this ballpark is fun right now. Like they yeah. just do a really good job there. And of course, the president races are epic. <laughs> yeah. And then you know, I got to see Mad Max pitch, so that's always cool. But um, so where can people? So you said you give out a lot of your info on Twitter. Um. Do parents reach out to you a lot? Like, do you have more long form content? Do you do YouTube? Because it seems like some of your your concepts are they take some time to really get deep and to grasp them. Do you give any like longer form YouTube videos? Do you do anything where people can really start to like dive in, or do they really kind of have to come see you in person? Um, they can dive in. I I have uh, the Hitting Illustrated website is still up. That was my start in 2006 it's basically read only right now i don't attend it much but i think the information and and you can see how the information developed and how kids developed it's it's very good read that's there um i have a patreon live stream once a week on monday nights ten dollars a month to to be a a patron of mine those are outstanding i I've had uh, guests on, I demonstrate myself, I've shown me given lessons before. Um, <clears throat> I, I do think it's very rare that someone's gonna figure out figure it out unless we get in person, um, whether it's with me. I've got several guys around the country that, that teach this and they teach, they do excellent, uh, really, really good. So we're, I would love to have a guy in every city that's you know, a disciple of mine, so to speak. I don't want to say certified because I really try to avoid the certification process. Um, one thing that always irritated me about Mike Epstein is uh, uh, his program. You uh, every on on Twitter or in the forum back in the forum days, the guy would come on and say, "I'm Epstein certified. I teach what Mike Epstein teaches, except I add this or I add that or I don't like this and I don't like that." So therefore I try to avoid the certification process because I don't want to be, I'm teacher man certified, except I don't like this. Yeah. Sounds like religion. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I try to avoid that, but I do have some outstanding guys around the country that are, that are teaching it. But you know, it, it first of all, my persona, my personality, whatever you want to call it on Twitter, I've said it a hundred times. It's my filter. 
I don't want to just deal with toe dippers, see how warm the water is before they commit. I want a guy that is as motivated as I was to learn this, as motivated as my son was. Um, I don't want to waste my time with someone else. So I have this personality that really kind of separates, <laughs> does a pretty good job of separating them from me. And I went to that to say this, when I find someone who has that motivation, he's got me, he's got me hooked. He can send me video every day and I'll respond to him every day. So. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, that twit, I think from listening to everything you've said and knowing you a little bit and the way I understand it, I really feel like you're a lot closer to, you know, the thought process of a lot of these ex major leaguers than you are to a lot of the guys that are teaching the data and yeah. using the data to teach hitting and to teach baseball. I, I really, you know, I don't, I think you get pegged a lot as the, on that guru data side, but I really think you're a lot closer to someone like, like maybe Jeff Fry, uh, his understanding and, and where he falls on baseball. It just happens to be that, you know, the Twitter personas clash a little bit. Uh, I invited Jeff Fry to come to St. Louis if he would. Within 15 or 20 minutes, he would figure out what one-legged what what one-leggedness is, and he would agree with it. Well, I think a lot of this comes down to the communication. Like, I mean, Rich this is the first time you and I have met. You're a very reasonable guy, and it's clear you care a lot about the kids you worked with. Like we talked a little bit off camera, but it's clear that, like you said, you you know, kids working hard for you, you're going to work hard for him. I think we can all relate to that. And I've personally found, I mean, again, not really diving into most guys. I sort of just observe hitting stuff. Um, but I don't see anything like I majorly object to as far as stuff you said. I mean, I think if I had any pushback towards what you said today, I think it is the burden is a little more on you to make it simplified where people can understand. Because I know there's still, for me, like I need to see a little bit more. I know you have a lot of videos, but some of the terminology can still be a little bit dense for people who aren't you know, don't have a, whether it's a biomechanics background or whatever it is, but honestly, like everything you're saying makes sense to me as sort of like the third party. I consider myself the arbiter today, but, um, <laughs> it's hard to just really, it's hard to disagree with what you're saying. And I imagine if we got other hitting guys on here, it'd be kind of the same way where we, there's probably not room for as much bickering as there is. Like there's probably not as big a difference in what's being said. It's really more just I don't know. People are obsessed with being right all the time. Like they want their word to be the word that they use and their term to be the one that they use. And it's all mostly the same. I don't know, but yeah. you know, I, th um, I, I think, uh, I had a thought and then with the last few things you said, took the thought right out of I, my I, mind. I, I erased it. You erased <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, I, I, the internet is polarizing in general, which is disappointing because there is a lot of, um, I got a, I got a comment the other day on my YouTube channel asking about another softball throwing instructor. And I just like can't comment because that guy is litigious and sends cease and desists emails to people who try to use his drills. Yeah. So it's like, that's the web. It's like, I don't feel I didn't invent pitching. I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, and I didn't invent throwing or any of this stuff. And when people are like pretty open about, about sharing ideas and hearing what the other side, and like you said, you stay in your lane. I think I stay in my lane. I choose my lane. I could be in different ones like mechanics or approach. I like the approach side of pitching a lot better, the strategy, the mindset, that stuff of it. Um, 
it's just like when we start really getting aggressive about this is the way my terminology is best. You're an idiot. Look at this 30 second clip. This clearly shows that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a fool. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like when you get kind of some of this long form stuff, you can realize, Hey, this guy does have a method to his madness, knows what he's talking about. Even if you didn't play, like you played division two baseball, people act like you've never played baseball before. Like, you know, baseball, there's division two guys that don't have division two experience in pro ball coaching now. And yet they criticize you as if you like are an outsider, which you're not. The thought that escaped me, you, you mentioned uh, you'd like to see me simplify it. Well, ever since I had my aha moment, I've tried to simplify it. It's just the English language doesn't deal well with what the concept that I have to get across. And recently I've come up with something called the blueprint, which is a five-step thing, do this, 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 and this. And that's the overall blueprint. And then you have to perfect each of those five steps. And so where do you start? Do you start in step one or do you start in step four? They all got to be right before, before it comes together. So it's a, lot of, it's a lot of just slinging some mud and pretty soon you figure one thing out <clears throat> and then you figure a second thing out and then you figure the third thing out and then you get them all to work in order and then, you, then, you, then you've got it. But the, 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 you talked a lot about terminology. I want you to use my word instead of their word. And, and some of that's real. Some of that, like when I mentioned um, people who try to learn what I teach online and then when they come to me, I say the same words and they have their aha moment. Um, the, the words that I used are important and they can't substitute their word for my word. You know what I mean? So I understand what you're saying and I understand that I take a lot of heat because my lingo is not easy to understand. Um, <clears throat> my and, and that's really where my filter comes in because if you really, really, really want this, you will do what it takes to figure it out. And if you just want to argue about the lingo, I don't have much time for you. I'll argue with you. I'll make fun of you on Twitter or something. But um, to get my time, I want you to be sending me video. And I want you to understand when I say your hip has to bottom out in the hip socket, the rear hip socket, I want it to bottom out in the rear hip socket. I don't want you to bottom out at your waist. I want you to bottom out in the rear hip socket. So, okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah and it's, it, it, I get that the way you visualize and interpret and make your words or I make your words my own, it's, it's unique and it's different for everyone. So it's going to be hard to even know what way you should always convey a concept where it's going to reach the most people. So I get that it's, it's a tough thing sometimes for sure. I think people really need to swing the bat that are trying to understand. Absolutely. And I'm not Absolutely. saying step in the box against, you know, the top, the best pitcher you can find or a pro guy. And, you know, the T works. There's a reason that T has been a staple as a tool for millions of years, millions of years, hundred, hundred years huh. plus, whatever. Yeah. yeah they're using di dinosaur femurs. <laughs> they just hollow out the top and put a, but yeah, there's a, the T is a staple. Cause you could use it at, by yourself. You could, you know, baseball there it's, it's difficult to have somebody that can throw you batting practice at any given moment or flips or like, if you want to practice on your own, the T is a great tool and that's all it is, is a tool. It's not the, it's not the end all be all, but you can learn a lot from hitting off the T and just feeling your own body. And I feel like 
if you really want to learn the swing and similar to probably pitching, if you want to be good at throwing, like sometimes you just got to get out there and throw and, really? and see yeah. what, see what your body's doing and reacting. And it's everything. It definitely helps. Everything that I know came from a T and a camera. So that's, that's the camera. The camera is important too. Cause you're, you can get real time feedback without somebody have without somebody, an expert, rich or, or Dan watching and, and paying, you can, I'm not an expert. And Please don't pay me. Anyone Dan, don't pay me. Don't pay me. We know. We know, Dan, we know. I hit fungo but, bombs. If you need fungo coaching remotely, I'm <laughs> your guy. $350 an hour. You'll yeah. impress everyone at summer baseball. Um, <laughs> Rich, I, before we go, I, I have one more. So you're a big billiards guy, right? Yeah, I was. I mean, I own a billiard room and I used to play well. Is one of my favorite movies is the hustler, Jackie Gleason yeah. and, uh, Paul Newman. Yeah. Um, and the thing I like about that movie, which if you're a coach, you should play this movie for your kids. If you're a, an athlete, you should watch this movie. It's from, I don't know, when is it? Like the 1960s or 70s? It's 60s, black and white. It's black and white. Yeah. And basically Paul Newman, um, he's one of my favorite actors. He's this young pool hustler who can beat anybody. Jackie Gleason is like the longstanding champ at this local pool hall. He's the unbeatable guy. But Paul Newman comes in and whips him. And then yeah. takes, you know, with his uh, feelings of grandeur and all this, he gets re real overconfident, thinks he can beat him drunk, and basically spirals out. And what he learns at the end is that Jackie Gleason's success, being like the top dog for all these years, was not just his skill, but it was his professionalism, his diligence. He shows up every day with his hair combed, ready to play his best, where even though his best at its peak isn't as good as Paul Newman's was, his best was better than almost everyone else every single day. Can you speak on that with working with some of these major league guys like Aaron Judge, all them? It's not just their swing. It's not just their approach. But how important is that professional demeanor to being a successful big leaguer? Um, it's real important. Um, my relationship with Aaron is, is uh, limited, if you will. Um, I tend to be with him maybe... Oh, two or three times off season, but then a lot during the season. And the only time I see Aaron is when we're in a cage together. <laughs> so that's what I really know Aaron, his cage, his what we do in the cage. Um, but from what I see afar, he's very professional. Uh, you know, what I see on TV and Sports Center and how he acts, how he handles himself with the press and, uh, dealings with the fans in the stadium it's really impressive um so he's a real good model of how to handle yourself as a professional um that's not my ball of wax but i observe it you know what i mean it's not what i teach but i i very definitely can see uh, how that's beneficial to him yeah well and even just demeanor in the cage i think a lot of young kids just don't know how to hit they don't know how to do yeah. 50 swings off the tee like they don't know like you see him just yank 15 balls to the left and then you see him roll yeah. over a bunch not make an adjustment i think that yeah. that doubles back into it a little bit as well but what's, what's yeah. really impressive and it makes me look like an idiot is we'll be in the cage and i'll say wow that was good and he said aaron will say rich i missed that <laughs> I mean, his the ball off his bat when he mishits a ball is louder 
than a lot of guys when they square it up. Yeah. So, but, but to the point is his professionalism of wanting to be perfect on every swing, whether it's a T swing, whether it's a flip, um, they're looking for a feel. They're looking for ability to duplicate a feel one after another, after another. And when they get it, it's amazing. And when they're just a little bit off, they know they're off and it's not so amazing. Yeah. Um, quick story in 17, when he struggled, uh, late in the year, July and August, he struggled. Um, <clears throat> I was with him a lot during that time. And then we finally, I went to New York and I stayed there for five days and it took us five days to get him back to right. And the, I was there the last three days of August, first two days of September. And he got it dialed in. He had 15 home runs in this, in September to get to 52 and win the, win the rookie record at that time. But you know, he is, he really, really works hard at his craft. And I don't know if it's because of his size, not really, because Scott has the same issues. They, they, they lose the field. And I, I joke with my friends that I'm like their binky. They'll call me to town. And when I tell them they're doing it right, they, they, they do good. They feel good. And they go out and they hit a home run. And then they don't see me for a couple of weeks and they fall off. And when I come back to town and tell them they're doing it right, they go out and hit a home run. So it's, it's really an interesting uh, experience, not just from the physical teaching in their swing, but from their confidence level. Um, if both these guys learned this swing when they were 12 years old, they would be, they wouldn't, they don't need me now really, but they kind of do. If they, they wouldn't use me at all now. They, they would just know it. But when they go, when they face Max Scherzer and then Jacob deGrom on back-to-back nights or something like that, uh, they get the feeling like something's out of whack. No, nothing's really out of whack. You just face two of the best pitchers in the game. Um, but they'll call me to town, and we won't do anything different, and they don't really look any different after I left, but they have their confidence back. Just flying as that you're that, that flying human placebo. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, uh, I, I've never been at that level, but it's, it's really, really intense. It's, it's competitive, and it, you've got to be perfect to perform at that level. Especially yeah. in New York. Yeah. Well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. We got a lot of great feedback. And for everyone out there on YouTube and Twitter who left questions and just in, interacted with the show today, we really appreciate it. Thanks for being here today. Um, got a lot of good feedback on everything you were teaching. People were very thankful for you coming on the show today, Rich. So we appreciate it. How can people follow yeah, up with you? Thanks where for can, having where, me. Where can they fi- find you on the web? Um, Twitter, TeacherMan1986. I would really appreciate it if they joined my Patreon. Same thing, TeacherMan1986. I do a weekly live stream. Tomorrow night I've got a, a college player who's eligible for the draft, and it's going to be interesting to talk to him. So, Bobby, when you run for mayor? <laughs> that's i'd tell you what the way the way she's been doing it now in chicago i might have a i might have a really good shot coming up shot? here. i think so i think so <laughs> but rich i really appreciate you coming on you know we dan and i had uh i think oh i found it really good i don't know about dan dan's dan's got his dan. what do you mean i just thanked him for his time Undercutting, yeah, undercutting me here at the end i have to i have He's to but rich i'm gonna try and i'm gonna try and set up i'm gonna try and set up the uh Mm-hmm. the four-way zoom call with you and Je- with you and jeff at some point I, all right just just for if nothing that'll else, be an, for that'll the, be uh, yeah that'll be interesting if not a nightmare fireworks yeah I'll but no for you jeff, bobby <laughs> all right rich we appreciate you coming on all right have a good one
And for all of you out there, thank you again for being here. Uh, catch replays of the show on Spotify, Twitter, iTunes, uh, all the other podcast platforms. Robert, today went pretty well, I thought. I thought it went great. It always goes great. Well, he's a good guy. I mean, you can tell that he's he cares about his students. He's put in the time. I think a lot of those myths that like this guy has no baseball feel that he doesn't even play the game. We put those to bed. Like he he played college baseball. He has been a coach for a while. He has worked with some higher level players. And you can say what you want to try to like break down his his resume, but that's just like th- that whole ad hominem uh, ad hominem attack just I, I don't think it really serves much of a purpose it never does right oh like attacked their reputation well, well i think after talking what he to teaches him, yeah i think after talking to him and jeff you know getting letting them talk like we're just here as sounding boards essentially i think it was really good to hear both of them and how similar really that like i think they agree more than they disagree with a lot of like the the approach to to teaching hitting. I mean, I, just what Rich said at the end about the confidence. I mean, I think that's what Jeff yeah, for sure. and some of these ex big leaguers are trying to convey themselves is that confidence is like the best hitting instruction. And well, it's not, Rich, but it's, it's a good thing. It's the <laughs> it's, best. It's, it's not hitting. Inst- no, no, it it's is. not. It no, is. Confidence doesn't make your swing. Not just trash. If your swing yes, is a does. dumpster fire, confidence doesn't fix it. Well, if you have a dumpster fire, you got you got bigger issues, obviously. Mm-hmm. But but if you if you're confident in your dumpster fire, you probably have the best one. I mean, being confident gives you that extra little like t- like jetpack turbo boost. When you're confident, like we've had these, I've had these moments on the mound when, like, this is my day, and you're just a little bit better, right? But it doesn't change when, what you know how to do. It just doesn't. But when you're talking about the level. Like the Aaron, where Aaron, the level Aaron judges at, and the level that Jeff Fry was at. I mean, that's that's yeah, really you can a, spiral a separating out of factor. Control. Yeah, but How those guys have incredible swings. They have incredible athleticism. They've seen ninety hundred million thousand pitches. Like that's that's like the again confidence at the big league level is here. When you're thirteen, your swing just absolutely blows. Confidence doesn't doesn't help you not strike out all the time. So obviously you know that, and you're a guy who had the worst swing in the world, but still made the pro ball. So you Holy just ran cow. confidence your whole life. Jeez. But um, no, we're we're on the same page. We get it. But no, it was good to hear him. I mean, he's a he's a super nice guy. He was very forthcoming about what he teaches. There's I don't think there's really much to be controversial about. If you're a hitting person, you don't like the lingo he uses. Big deal. Like find your own lingo, whatever. Um, I don't know. I think everyone could be friends. We could all be friends. Except there's a lot of guys on friends. there's a lot of guys on Twitter who are just jerks too. Friends also, don't make for good Twitter content. Also, is this the last day we ever talk about hitting Twitter? Because I hope it is. I'm tired. No, of, I'm gonna, tired of Jeff, using the words hitting Twitter. Jeff and Rich are going to come on. That'll be no, the last they're day. Not. They're Together, not. Together, they're come on. They're not though. It's not going to be a productive yes. conversation. What do no. you? That'll be great conversation. Would it though? Let's get Donald Trump, Jeff Fry, uh, Betsy DeVos. Um, we'll exhume, um, Richard Nixon and we'll have like a huge, and we'll just have like a huge zoom. And one, and one bottle of Malort. One bottle, one bottle of Malort. And this, and yeah. this, this episode, this episode is not brought to you by Malort, but it could be. Fabi, look at this. Do you know what be. this is? I got like hand sanitizer. C. It's called Simple Sanitizer made by, uh, 
Compass Coffee Company here in um, Washington, D.C. Now, this is a little bit pricey, but we're keeping them in business. They're a nice little local coffee place. Um, and I have hand sanitizer again. So this is exciting. Are they, are they sponsoring the show? No, but I, I, it was a noteworthy thing in my life this weekend that I found a source of hand sanitizer because I was running out. Fun fun fact, Malort, they're currently making hand sanitizer in their distillery. So, so why don't I have a bottle? We, why, why don't I have sponsored by them yet? Go to their... Uh, speaking of which, Frank Alexander's video was amazing. That video <laughs> yeah. of him. We, he won't let us show it, though. So For everybody out, listening. It's a yeah. parlor trick. It's a parlor trick. If you want to have a good laugh with your friends when they come over, you give them a shot of Malort, and it's just horrific, it's just horrific tasting. And then you go, ha, 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 everyone, and just you laugh at the reaction. And it's a good, it's, t- it's a good time. It's a good time. It's delicious. It's, it's delicious. a good time. Yep. Well, on that note, uh, thank you for being here. We will be back on Friday. So remember from this point forward, we are on Tuesdays and Fridays here at the morning brushback. Uh, we will have this episode up by tomorrow. I promise on iTunes and Spotify. If you're new to the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review. Uh, or again, you know how the world works. You read a review on Amazon about a product you're going to buy. It helps you make that decision. So if you leave us a quick review today, um, on iTunes or Spotify, whatever. It's just going to help other people find the show. and We really appreciate it. Bobby, send us off, my man. Dan, we'll see you Friday. Friday, we've got the swing man on, Jeremy Nowak, former teammate of mine, current long drive golf professional. So tune in Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Learn something about hitting balls really, really far. All right, we'll see you next week or Friday. Whatever, we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.